the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Here's drawing to a close. We're still working. We're still paying attention to what's going on in the markets. Joining me today, Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, how are you? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing just fine. Thanks. Get all your holiday shopping finished? I have. Now I'm just gearing up to uh, do some serious shoveling here in Chicago in the next few days. Oh, I'm in my mountain getaway place right now and I've uh, been doing some serious shoveling. We got five feet of snow two weeks ago and uh, let's just say it sat for a couple weeks and kind of got heavy. Yeah, all right. I won't complain then if we're maybe going to get 12 inches of snow. <laughs> so, uh, Scott, it's all real. You're, you're in a prettier spot. <laughs> That's fair to say, uh, but thank you. Um, Nike and FedEx reported last night and it seems like the markets are getting some positives out of both of them. What did we see? Yeah, no doubt that uh, the market, <clears throat> like the uh, like the tone of these reports, I guess you could say, um, but for different reasons. I think you know you look at the, at Nike, right, and it's it's clearly still enjoying you know strong demand for its products, and uh, and it helped to hear that the company say that it believes that the you know the worst of its inventory problems are behind it. So it kind of you know, sets the stage maybe for you know for better. Uh, profits uh, moving ahead, um, but at the same time, you know, investors are heartened by you know the recognition that there is is still strong demand there for for Nike products. And then, when you have the reopening of China to factor in uh, in 2023, you know, you can see you can see a light at the end of the tunnel here, and that's clearly being reflected in the stock price this morning, which is up about 12 percent. Um, with FedEx, uh, FedEx is kind of its own story though because. The response to FedEx is driven by the company's attention to preserving its profit margins by cutting costs even further. Now, the caveat to that is that they're cutting costs the way that they are because demand is weakening, uh, and they saw a continued softening in the demand trends in their fiscal second quarter. So, uh, I, you know, I think Nike is just one of those companies, right, where it's just it just has a product that people love, um, you know, but. FedEx is right in the middle of, you know, everything as it relates to transporting goods. And the concern there is that, uh, you know, its commentary relates more to the macro concerns that the market's been having of late uh, and how they could translate into lower earnings estimates in, in coming periods. But so for the time being, anyway, Wall Street appreciates the fact that FedEx is trying to bolster its profitability. That's a good thing. Uh, but the commentary out of FedEx seems to be a little bit more concerning as it relates to the Main Street picture. Uh, but that's not, um, you know, it's not really coming into focus here today for the market, which is, you know, as I mentioned in page one, just kind of like, I think, done with hearing bad news for the time being. It was looking for an excuse to rally. 
when we take a look at FedEx and UPS and airline stocks and train stocks, they're called the transports. I learned many, many, many years ago to watch the transports. I believe I was told to watch them because they're looking to the future. And as their stocks start to rebound, that's telling you the economy will be rebounded in six months. I'm paraphrasing a lot there. Would you do you look at the transports and what do you see in the transports? Well, what you're saying is true. I mean, when you think about that, you know, transports, they move people and goods. And uh, and so they're pretty much a, a pretty good sight line to what's going on with, you know, the broader economy. And, uh, and you know, looking at the Dow Jones transportation average, I mean, it's you can see a downtrend there um, <clears throat> this year, just like we have seen in the S&P 500. Um, you've had some nice rally efforts along the way, but the downtrend is still intact. And uh, it's kind of been uh, uh, illuminating to look at some of these transport stocks. And while you hear, uh, you know, particularly the airlines, right, you hear them talking about demand remaining strong, uh, but for, for, you know, I, I don't know if whatever reason is the right expression, because I think there is a reason, but the stock prices haven't really responded in kind this year. And I think that the reason being is that while demand is strong now and uh, and the commentary about what it looks like, you know, in the near future anyway, seems pretty good, investors are just not convinced that that's going to remain the case as the lag effects of the Fed's rate hikes uh, kick in. And that, that, again, has been kind of like this main layer of concern just hanging over the market here is that you're going to see, um, you know, a... Uh, a deeper setback because of the Fed's aggressive rate hike actions and the, you know, apparent declaration to, you know, keep raising rates here in the in the near term. I'm going to have to re-listen to this segment because you just blew me away with some of the words you used. Um, you did well in high school on your SATs, I would imagine. Um, moving to, back to you, though, and back to page one at briefing.com. Is there anything that we should be looking at as far as economic data, or was last week's CPI it for us? Well, CPI was was definitely the big hurdle uh, for okay. the market here. Um, you know, we, we look at uh, the personal income and spending report for for November uh, on Friday here, um, and that that is of course and it's an important uh, piece of information. You know, it'll contain that. PCE price index, the core PCE price index, the Fed pays very close attention to. Um, and, you know, the market will be comforted if it sees, you know, kind of a decelerating trend there in the rate of core PCE inflation. Uh, but, you know, we just heard last week uh, from the Fed chair himself that, um, you know, that in core inflation is still too high uh, because of, you know, what they're seeing and, you know, services, ex-energy inflation. And uh, and it's believed that, uh, you know, the Fed, you know, isn't, or the Fed is thinking that, you know, there's a lot more work to be done here. Um, I don't know if the market believes that, but that's what the Fed believes. And, you know, the Fed's calling the shots right now. And so, uh, so it'll be helpful if we see some better inflation data uh, in that report. But, um, you know, but again, uh, until we kind of see the, the pivot, so to speak, from the Fed, uh, you know, the market will remain on edge that the Fed's going to overdo this and, and trigger that, you know, much deeper economic setback that uh, we've been talking about. I don't know if there's a question here, but if we're talking about the Fed pivoting six months from now, nine months from now, 12 months from now, I would have to imagine the market's going to be lower and people are going to be pretty frustrated. 
which would be wonderful yeah. because that would be maybe the sign of a bottom. When people get frustrated, they give up, they stop talking about it. Um, I'm watching mega cap stocks go up and down and up and down. I'm kind of getting tired mm-hmm. of watching them. Um, what, what's your thought on being interested in the market or losing interest in the market or the grind getting to people after a while? Well, you know that you have a lot of the same same themes. You're right. And, you know, when you, when you do hear the same thing over and over again every day, you do get tired of listening to it. Um, that's just human nature, I think. And, you know, the, the dominating theme this year has been the Fed. And I think that uh, the stock market one would be happy to stop obsessing over the Fed. But it, it unfortunately, is not going to get that opportunity here, at least through the first half. Uh, well, probably for most of 2023. But the question is when it starts uh, obsessing over a Fed that's going to be more friendly. Um, and so before you get to a pivot, the Fed's going to actually pause. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and again, we're hearing from Fed officials that they're going to stick there for quite some time. Uh, so we're going to be, you know, digesting that in 2023 in terms of how the economic data uh, drives Fed policy decision making and, you know, when uh, they will ultimately pause, how long they will stay there, and then eventually when they'll pivot to a rate cut. Uh, cycle. Um, and uh, and right now, if the Fed is to believe, be believed, that might not happen in 2023. But I think if you look at the Treasury market, it's calling the Fed's bluff at the moment. So that'll be the great focal point here, uh, yeah. along with what happens with earnings estimates as we move through 2023. Great content. Um, with about two minutes left, not a lot of time, end of the year, anything that you want to throw out there for us? Because this will be our last segment of the year, and we'll pick back up next year, I'm, I'm assuming, with uh, things getting kind of crazy next week. Yeah, you know, uh, of course, you hear a lot about the Santa Claus rally effort, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think people generalize that to kind of just say, oh, some, you know, when you look at the month of December, it's a Santa Claus rally, period. But, you know, taking it literally, really, it, it covers the last five trading days of a year plus the first two sessions of the new year. That's the Santa Claus rally, period. And so, um, so you have a market here that's oversold on a short-term basis. Uh, it's looking for an excuse to rally. Uh, we had some clearance to do that today based on the positive responses to FedEx and Nike. So we're going to be watching over the next week or so if, if maybe we get a little bit more uh, more positive price action that's helped along by some of the thinner trading conditions here. But, uh, you know, it should be a nice way to end what has been, you know, kind of a lousy month of December so far. And we've got a lot of road to make up, though, to, to get positive for the month. So it'd be some kind of closing week for the year uh, if we get a S&P 500 that's positive for the month by the end of it. Uh, not expecting something like that, but uh, it's certainly a little bit of recovery effort will help um, sentiment here through the holiday period as we move into the start of the, start of the new year. Thanks very much for joining me this year, this week. Have a good holiday season. We'll pick back up in 2023. Um, it's briefing.com. Patrick O'Hare. He's got a page one that starts a big picture that finishes on Friday. Page one every single day. Briefing.com is a reliable source of domestic and international news that I think you will find friendly to uh, digest and consume and, and see what is working and what is not working economically and Wall Street wise. So that, that is Patrick O'Hare. Thank you. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. One in five. Young adults are particularly vulnerable to delinquencies and have money in collections right now. For the 18 to 24-year-olds in minority communities, they face even greater financial stress. But young adults are struggling to manage high-interest debt. 
Um, the buy now, pay later, I do not understand and I do not like it in any way, shape or form. Credit card debt is getting more expensive as the Fed is raising interest rates. So if you are carrying debt, it's going to be tougher in 2023. Try to get a plan together. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. Welcome into EP Wealth Investors, informed investor market update. Joining me today with CFP and CFA, Adam Phillips, Director of Portfolio Strategy with EP Wealth. Let's do a quick year-to-date update. The NASDAQ's down 31% year-to-date. The S&P 500 down 19%. The the Dow Jones Industrial Average considered the value of the three markets that we're talking about down 9%. 10-year Treasuries closing out the year around 3.5%, an area that that at the beginning of the year, we never would have thought 3.5% was where we're going to get to, but it feels right right now. Of note, Tesla down 57% this year, very similar to Bitcoin's uh, down year, which is interesting to me. December has not started with a Santa Claus rally. There's nothing ho, ho, ho or jingle bells going on. Adam, let's talk a little bit about what we've seen in the first couple of weeks of December, because I think the market was looking for something a little different. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so far we've gotten a lump of coal, right? The S&P 500 down about 6% or so. Uh, so far in December. Um, and you know, I, I think we need to maybe just uh, go a little bit uh, further back in the calendar and, and just acknowledge we we had a nice little rally there before. That's true. I think what we have seen uh, in recent weeks is, is really, um, you know, maybe we got to a point where we were short term overbought uh, from the market standpoint. Okay. And now we are, I, I think investors are now grappling with, uh, with, with the Fed and, and the fact that uh, they're likely to continue um, with this tight policy for longer than maybe than they expected. I, you know, I, I think we have been talking about Rob in, in recent weeks, how maybe the Fed was, uh, Excuse me. Maybe investors were a little bit. Um, they were investing um, uh, out of hope, right? And and maybe um, uh, not using their listening ears, as as I as I say to my kids. Uh, and and they were really just hopeful that the Fed would would ease uh, ease up on this policy tightening a little bit sooner than expected. But um, but it in I think last week's events really tell us that. Uh, inflation has a long way to go here. Even though we're seeing some positive signs in, in the latest inflationary data, the Fed's job is not done yet. And so I think this pullback that we've seen is really a response by investors saying, okay, uh, we're, we're going to see this restrictive policy for a little longer than we had hoped. Speaking of hope, I do a popular podcast. And one of the phrases that I get to say way too often is hope belongs in churches. I hope there's an afterlife and hope belongs on the football field. I hope the 49ers make the playoffs or the Super Bowl, um, but it doesn't really belong on Wall Street. And the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, is telling us, let's not hope. Let's let's go with the data. Um, let's talk a little about what Fed chairman Jerome Powell said last week. And that mixed with a big data week of the CPI. In hindsight, what did we learn? Well, it was really interesting. You know, on, on uh, Tuesday of last week, we got the November inflation data in, in the form of the CPI, and those numbers actually came in better than expected. We saw that inflation continues to soften up and moderate here. We obviously have a long way to go on a year-over-year basis. If you look at headline inflation, uh, really just including all those price categories, we're still up just over 7% year-over-year. 
So that's a far cry from that, what we what we refer to as that healthy rate of inflation called 2% or so. But we are seeing on a month-over-month basis, these numbers are trending lower, right? We're seeing uh, one or two-tenths of a percent month-over-month, and that's a lot better than what we, we've seen in recent months. And so I think the trend is certainly positive. And after that report on Tuesday, I, I think some investors were hoping that uh, this would lead the Fed to uh, maybe take a more what we call a dovish approach towards uh, future policy actions, uh, implying that okay, their their actions to date have um, have been, I guess, successful or, or productive in in reducing these inflationary pressures. Maybe they can ease up a little bit going forward. And uh, many, I, I think, were surprised uh, on when on Wednesday the FOMC meeting concluded. And they announced a 50 basis point rate hike, which I think most were really expecting. But I, what what not everyone was expecting were the um, in the summary of economic projections and the dot plots that they released, as well as in uh, Chairman Powell's press conference, which really said uh, implied that they have a long way to go here. Um, their um, inflationary pressures are still a long way from being what they consider normal, and so they said even though. We we did raise rates by just you know just with air quotes here fifty basis points after four consecutive seventy five basis point rate increases. Uh, they they are uh, likely to to keep raising rates at future meetings, and even once they're done raising rates, they're likely to keep uh, policy rates elevated until they see additional signs that uh, inflation is easing and moving closer towards that two percent target. And so that that is what we would refer to as a hawkish message that uh, I, I think investors were some were caught off guard, especially uh, and, and I think you can see that in the fact that markets had rallied. Uh, in uh, in the days and weeks leading up to uh, this policy meeting. And so I think that's why you're seeing some of that being given up right now. Um, when, uh, you know, I, I, we always hear, um, you know, there, there's this popular aphorism, don't fight the Fed. Well, investors were caught off guard there. And, and I, I think if we're looking at the data today, I think that many investors are still fighting the Fed. They are telling us pretty clearly their job is not done yet. I mentioned the dot plots, um, which is, um, it, it's something that they produce every uh, and publish every every three months. So we got the updated dot plots, and it really just says where these nineteen FOMC participants expect the Fed funds rates, so policy rates, to end uh, the year uh, in uh, say at the end of twenty two, at the end of next year, at the end of twenty twenty four, and then longer term. And so if we look at those dot plots, it tells us that just about every. FOMC participant expects uh, rates to move higher from here, uh, continue rising into uh, next year, and then remain elevated for some time. But if you look at what the bond market, say, is pricing in, it, it's uh, it's really going against those uh, FOMC participants and, and saying that they are either trying to call the Fed's bluff or maybe are uh, are more hopeful that the that inflation will moderate before then, so the Fed won't have to raise rates or keep policy tight as long. And so there's really this misalignment. And I think when you see this, it's it's the risk setting investors up for disappointment. And I think that's what, what I really take away from the last several days here is that there's still this misalignment. I think the Fed is trying to be very, very clear here with the challenges that remain. Uh, and investors, uh, I, I used the, the phrase before, um, you know, not using their listening ears. I, I think a, a lot of them are, are still uh, maybe in denial. And so I think that's why we're seeing this volatility here. When you look up the word professional in an encyclopedia, there's a picture of Adam Phillips. I'm throwing a curveball at you. 2021, 
was a year where you and I were incredulous. It was like 70 new highs on a regular basis. We were doing these updates. 2022, I think, has been the year of the I word, inflation, where we've talked about it. I kind of wish it wasn't all year, but it's been all year. And I think 2023 is turning into a situation where we're going to be talking about the R word, the recession. Is it, you're just talking about recent data. Let's pull back out and look at the year. Is, am I getting those themes about right? I think you are. And, and that's, I'm really happy that you mentioned that, Rob. I, obviously, last year was great. We tried to set expectations uh, uh, among investors as well as our own expectations and saying, look, this is really fun when the market's hitting new all-time high after new all-time high, but it's not normal. And so we've seen a little bit of a return to normal, and it's been a little, it's kind of a painful adjustment when that happens. But I think a lot of what's driven uh, this year's performance has been inflation and the Fed's uh, policy response, right? Next year, and, and even right now, we're starting to see a little bit of a change here with the theme where the concerns are less about inflation because we are seeing inflation moderate, um, but more about uh, recession and, and the risk that um, all of this, uh, this aggressive policy response um, will have on the economy. We know that the policy acts with a lag. And so a lot of these recent uh, moves and in, in interest rates haven't aren't yet reflected in a lot of the data. And so that's going to take some time. And so I think that's why we're seeing, whether you look at the bond market or the stock market, uh, a lot of the concerns now are pointing towards, okay, well, what does this mean for growth going forward? And so I think we're seeing a similar message from both the stocks and the bonds uh, in, in which it's saying growth is likely to moderate and we are risking a recession here. If we look at the data, the economic data, I'd say a lot of it is still positive. We've seen a lot of resilience here, particularly in the jobs market, right? Where um, we're still seeing unemployment rate is still extremely low. New jobs uh, being added every month, still very, very high, even though they're trending down. Um, but uh, but we are seeing some signs of of weakness here. And and for a while now, we've talked about the strength of the consumer and, and pointed to that as really what's been helping us live um, uh, I guess, get by in the face of higher inflation. And we're now starting to see some early cracks forming in the consumer. We got the, the signs of that last week in the retail sales data at the end of last week, which showed uh, sales uh, month over month actually fell about uh, six-tenths of a percent. So that was the weakest uh, in almost a year. Now, this is good spending, so it doesn't account for service spending. And, and so this uh, this week, we'll actually get uh, the, I'd say, more broader data around the consumer. Um, but I think that's something that we're really watching for um, to help inform our outlook of the economy, since the consumer is such a big part of it. Um, so this week, we're getting personal income, personal spending data. This will also tell us what the latest savings rate is. And so the last time we got the savings rate in the U.S., it actually fell to 2.3%, which is very, very low. Um, lo this is the second lowest on record. Back in 1995, we saw the savings rate was 2.1%. So it tells us that that consumers are eating into their uh, eating into their savings, using most of their income for their day-to-day -day spending needs. And obviously, that's that's... Not too surprising when you look at what inflation is doing right now. And so we were fortunate as, as consumers, households were fortunate to come into the year with a, a pretty healthy savings cushion. Accumulated savings were up around $2.4 trillion if you look at the amount of savings compared to pre-pandemic levels. So they had a lot of excess cash to be able to spend in the face of higher inflation. We're now seeing those numbers come down quite uh, um, quite rapidly. And that tells us that 
elevated savings levels can only get you so far. Eventually, it's uh, it, it's it's going to have an impact on the data. And so I would expect we're going to start seeing that now. And that really, uh, I think, speaks to the fear that we have about a slowdown uh, in, in the upcoming months. Yeah. And I want to add a little color and see if you can get a good reply out of you. I saw that retail sales lost 40,000 jobs in November, which is unheard of for the holiday season upon us. So you and I are dealing with inflations as we shop, but the corporations are dealing with wage inflation. And it looks like they're cutting employees and saying, we need you to do a little bit more with a little bit less. And we need to see if we can get through this together. Um, but the inflation's hurting corporations as well with wages. Um, I was shocked to see retail sales positions down as dramatically as they were in November. And that tells me again, it, it's a lot of moving pieces and I really envy you. And I, I, I feel bad for you all at the same time because you have to juggle these and, and, and communicate them to me and to the audience out there. Well, look, just like you feel bad for me, I feel bad for the Fed because they're the ones that actually have to manage policy in this environment. And it's really challenging, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, honestly, the easy job is for me to sit here and interpret the data and, and try to tell you where I think it's going. But I'm not the one that has to decide on, on what to do with policy rates and because that really does have a big impact. Now, it, just to your point real quick, I think that, that you hit on something really interesting there. Even though we're seeing inflationary pressures, broad inflationary pressures moderate right now, the Fed is very quick to point out that what we're, where we're not seeing inflation moderate is on the wages side, yeah. right? Average hourly earnings still up just over 5% year over year. And so that tells you that these companies are likely uh, to to be challenged. Um, what we're seeing uh, profit margins, expectations for profit margins come in. Um, you know, uh, our, our own uh, profit profit um, outlook is uh, is for is for corporate earnings to to continue to come down into 2023. And so, these are very real challenges. And I think it says a lot when companies specifically in the retail space, are having to resort to layoffs when we know that for so long, they have been desperately trying to hire. Um, and right, and you know, there, there's over 10 million job openings in the US. And so obviously, there's a lot of demand for these workers. But it, it tells you that companies are really struggling when they actually have to say, you know what, we, we need people, but it's actually we're better off getting rid of headcount right now because of the impact from uh, rising wage pressures. Let me end with a housing question, but before I do that, let me say this is EP Wealth's Informed Investor Market Update. I'm speaking with CFP, CFA, Adam Phillips, Director of Portfolio Strategy. Now is a great time to reach out with your wealth team. It's the end of the year. It's a, a calendar event that everyone should like check in on their finances and check in with their financial team. This time of year, very, very important because there's a lot of stuff you can still do constructively. But let's talk about housing and what you're seeing. Um, I saw home builder sentiment this morning wasn't great. They're giving a lot of incentives. Again, as a consumer of real estate, I'm happy they're giving incentives. But as a capitalist pig, you know, who's looking at earnings, I'm like, anytime you discount, that's, that's coming out of earnings. And that's not a good thing because it's not demand driven. It's like um, managing expectations. What are you seeing out of the housing market right now that that you like or don't like? <laughs> Not a whole lot that that I like okay. uh, in, in the housing market, right? I, I I'd say that we aren't too surprised either. Uh, you okay. know, housing is the most rate sensitive area of the economy, and so it's not too surprising we're seeing some weakness there, especially after a forty percent price growth 
in in the last two years. And so you should expect some moderation here. That just was not sustainable. And it was because supply and demand was so out of balance. And so we need some kind of uh, balance to be restored here. I think that's what we're seeing. And sometimes that process can be painful. This is not another housing crisis um, you know, that's about to be repeated. I think the two are very, very different. But what we saw in the latest data today from home builders was that um, for the 12th consecutive month, confidence among home builders declined. Investors and, and economists were actually expecting a slight increase in the number. Um, and so that was a big surprise. The increase was expected to come from the, uh, the the recent easing in mortgage rates, even though they're still high, they've come off a little bit from, from hitting around 7% or so on the 30-year average fixed rate mortgage. But I think it tells you that housing is likely to be challenged in, in the coming months uh, as a result of this environment. Uh, what, what I would, and, and this week, we haven't gotten it yet, but we're expecting um, this existing and new home sales data to show continued weakening here. And I think this is just part of that re- readjustment period that can sometimes be a little bit painful, but again, not too surprising. I, I think some kind of, uh, even though it's not uh, too pleasant when it happens, I think it is healthy to get these things restored. And so I think the question into 2023 is going to be how far do home prices have to fall to get back into balance? We know that there are still supply issues. There's still not uh, a lot of supply available for potential buyers. And so how, but the question is, how far do prices need to come down to get those buyers back uh, back into the market to get them to participate? Because we know that affordability is still a huge issue when rates are as high as they are. And when you zoom in on this topic, you can see that mortgage new mortgage payments are roughly double what they were three years ago. And yet when you zoom out, I bought a house in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, and it always works out over a 10-year period. But in the moment, I'm a little freaked out with that higher mortgage payment, zoom in versus zoom out. I I I, I hope people have the big picture because like you said, the last two years have been wonderful. But I, did you see the study last week that came out? I think it was um, maybe Citibank said something like, if you bought a home in 2021, you're not wealthy. If you bought a home in 2020, you're wealthy. And it's like, that's the dividing line. That's our Mason Dixon of the housing market. Right. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, look, I, I think that that just feeds into this, this um, short-term perspective. And I think it's so important to just take a step back and acknowledge the fact that you know, it's 6% mortgage, even though it feels pretty high compared to where we've been in recent years, in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that unreasonable considering how high rates have been in the past. And so, yeah, we, we know that um, many can, can in, in the future, you can always refinance. Uh, but I think it does, because people are, are kind of looking at where rates were, they, they feel like they missed the opportunity. It's so important, though. Number one, not to buy more house than than you can afford. Right. And I think that really speaks to why we do financial planning for our clients, but also uh, to really take a longer term view here, um, because mortgage rates today isn't necessarily what you're going to be stuck with, right? A lot of people do refinance. And I, I think the reason, one of the reasons that we do feel more optimistic about the housing market, and I mentioned we don't expect a repeat of the, of the housing crisis here, is because the majority of homeowners, whether you bought it 
in uh, you bought in 21 or 20 or, or what have you, the majority have rates that are that are well below, say, three and a half percent on their mortgages. And so I think that really just speaks to that supply issue. A lot of people kind of feel these in a way of golden handcuffs. They're kind of stuck. They feel stuck with the homes they have. And so maybe that means fewer homes on the market because those potential sellers are looking at that and saying, well, I don't necessarily want to give this up because this rate's pretty darn good. And if I went into something, even if I upsized, I'd have a higher rate. And so I think that really just kind of perpetuates this issue and uh, this issue and why um, we are, we expect this supply and demand to come further into balance, but it's going to take some time. Always buy which can afford and never bite off more than you can chew. And yet still 20, 30 years after the fact, I wish I would have bought more house in my twenties, but I guess I avoided bankruptcy by making a mistake here or there. So thanks very much. It's Adam Phillips, CFP, CFA, Director of Portfolio Strategy with EP Wealth. Great time to reach out to your wealth team right here, right now to end the year. I'm Rob Black for the Informed Investor Market Update. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. Who are the worst things in the world to do with your financial lives is deal with your spouse about a budget and taxes. I was very romantic in my 20s, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to wine, dine, impress, and, and love like no other love. And the last thing I wanted to do was budget with my sugar booger and taxes tax moves you should make though at the end of the year are super important budgets throughout the year are super important so that you can tell your loved one hey i love you now in our hot and sexy 20s and i'm gonna love you in our family years in our 30s i'm gonna love you as we start to gray into our 50s and 60s i'm gonna love you when we retire and walk the beaches of the world together but to be able to walk the beaches of the world together you need some cash flow one of the components of that is you need to do some tax planning with your sugar booger, and that's not always fun. Budgeting isn't always fun, but if you can't do it, you shouldn't be in a, an adult relationship. You're in a childish relationship. You're living in the now. You're not living in the future. So let's talk about some things that you can do right now so that you have more money in the future. Harvesting tax losses. This is a good one. This is the uh, this is romance 101 on a Friday night, if you know what I'm saying. Hey, honey, do we have any capital losses which could offset our taxable gains this year? Uh-huh. Now you're talking love. Zoomy, zoomy, zoom, right? Any net losses beyond what can reduce ordinary income up to about $3,000 annually. That is such a ridiculously low number to me that $3,000 in my 20s, I was like, is that all we could write off in losses? And now that I'm in my 50s, I'm like, is it still $3,000? And that's right. The figure hasn't risen in many years. It represents a modest consolation prize for investors who get banged up. The losses beyond that can carry forward for use in future years. Short-term losses first are applied against short-term gains. And long-term losses against long-term gains. Investments are considered long-term if held for more than one year. Do you see why this isn't fun and sexy? It's worth noting that the tax break applies to gains and losses held in taxable accounts, losses in IRAs, individual retirement accounts, or 401ks, 
don't count because they're already tax sheltered for other reasons. It's pretty insane, isn't it? Do you see where I'm getting at? At some point in time, you're going to want a CPA. If you're falling into that, I make six figures and I've got complicated deductions. Because you don't want to forget this one. It's worthy not to forget it. Congress made the standard deduction more generous, but it also made it harder for taxpayers to itemize deductions in 2022. Property taxes, state taxes, local taxes, mortgage interest, charitable donations are amongst the main itemized deductions you can take. But you need to have more than 12,950 of the such expenses to make it worthwhile. If you're single or over $25,900 if you're married. Do you see why you almost want to hire an accountant to help with your taxes so you can just focus on your sugar booger and lover and so much and like be romantic and passionate as long as you can and, and make those children and get to retirement in the golden years and on Golden Pond and you're on a rowboat in the middle of a lake and she calls you an old poop? Don't you see why you want to have an accountant if you can have one? I do. So bunch your 2022 itemized deductions. Harvest your tax losses. Donate IRA money to charity. This is one where, again, it helps to have a financial planner. I've got a financial planner at EP Wealth named Brad. Brad is someone who circles back with me on a regular basis. Let me pull up a recent email from Brad and it'll give you an exact example. Um, okay, so he has sent me my dividends for the year. He sent me my short-term capital gains loss. He sent me my long-term capital gains loss. Things that I can harvest. Um, he sent me an email that said, I've attached a PDF for our plan information for review. Please review all information carefully and let us know if you need to make any updates, changes, additions. Please provide current information for any highlighted items in yellow. Please provide copies of your current social security statements for both of you. 2021 tax returns. If you can upload those documents into the shared document folder in your vault or your wealth management site, I can access them securely from there. He's pretty good, isn't he? He goes over our estate planning, talking about updating our trust. He goes over our spending cash flow, asking you know how uh, we're doing with the ca- some of our links are broken. We have financial planning software called eMoney, and on occasion, my Bank of America account or my United Mortgage uh, account will delink after like ninety days, kind of like reset your password, kind of thing. And he stays on top of it. Um, anyhow, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air if you want to call the show. But one of the things I'm talking about right now is like, if you have IRA money, individual retirement account money that you don't need for living expenses and you're at least 70 and a half years old, you can give that money to charity, uh, take a tax break to consider. It involves withdrawing some of your IRA money and donating it directly to one of the qualified charities, also known as a qualified charitable distribution, a QCD. And this is where I love CFP Chad Burton. He lives and breathes this stuff. Financial planners like Brad live and breathe this stuff. I don't really want to do it. Taxes aren't fun. They're not sexy. That's why I'm a tax person. That's not why I'm a tax person. Mine are a little more complicated than yours, baby. But you don't receive a donation deduction on your gift as you otherwise might put the money withdrawn from IRA 
wouldn't be included in your adjusted gross income, so you don't pay taxes. There's positives and there's negatives, right? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. You need to make tax moves right now, like converting a 401k into a Roth IRA, if it's appropriate for you, but you need a qualified professional to help you do that. I'm Rob Black. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. This has been a big year for medical breakthroughs. Roughly four in 10 Americans are obese. I'm going to go over three of the big breakthroughs this year. There's been a lot. The term weight loss pill has been, how shall we say, glamorized? Is that right? But we excuse trying to get a pill, and we have to diet and exercise, but we'd prefer a pill. There's a new diabetes drug that's working at incredibly well as a weight loss drug. With It's not a happy accident. It's created an extraordinary evolution. In 2010's patients on diabetes medication, semeglitude, uh, noticed something interesting. They were losing a ton of weight and side effects wasn't a fluke. So throwing it out there, not going to get into how it works. Naturally occurring hormones, it's mimicking. It's the only medication in the pipeline that helps people lose weight without suffering major side effects. Um it's in phase one trials. Patients with a higher dose lost more than 14% of their body weight in less than three months. Amgen's larger phase two studies could begin next year. This is big. <laughs> and I know this is going to sound horrific. I mean, it's big. Yeah, it's a weight loss drug. It's big. Yeah, 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 I get it. Um, elsewhere out there, the power to synthesize life. This summer, scientists grew an embryo in a lab without the use of sperm or eggs or womb. It happened to be that of a mouse, but the species is of secondary importance. What matters is that a team in Israel forged something in a lab that butted a tail on day six, had a beating heart on day eight, and even had the beginnings of a brain. Now, again, what's that lead to? Um, it could lead to fixing embryonic mutations, developmental diseases, um, a lot of good. This year, we saw doctors reverse death. This is kind of the most interesting um, Yale research case that I read this week, where animals that have been dead for hours were brought back to life by pumping an experimental substance into the veins and arteries. After they've laid deceased for an hour plus, getting their hearts to beat again. This would be useful if you were in a car crash and suddenly died or you were a soldier and bled out on the um, battlefield. Now, again, it brings into the spooky references of the monkey paw uh, pet cemetery and any other cheating death kind of scenarios. But we are doing some pretty crazy stuff. And uh Earlier in the show, I talked about how fusion is starting to create more energy than what it's costing us to create that energy. And that's a huge breakthrough. A lot of AI technology this year um, has been developed. So we got a snapshot of time, thanks to the courtesy of James Webb Telescope, sent back first images of ancient light from across the universe. 
We have all sorts of successful fighter uh, cancer fighting technologies being developed. The most exciting one that I saw uh, was uh, a trial with 18 rectal cancer patients. They were prescribed a new immunotherapy and cancers vanished. And doctors at Memorial Sloan Ketterling Cancer Center said, first time this has ever happened in cancer as far as we know. But there's a company called Grail, which Bill Gates is invested in. This is, and again, sometimes it's about timing your fraud, right? Elizabeth Holmes wanted to come up with a blood test that could detect cancers and tell you if you're going to go on a date and sexual STDs. Like it was, it was a great idea. One little pinprick of blood. There's a company called Grail, which launched a blood test called Gallery. It's not cheap. It's not perfect. Grail has been invested in by Bill Gates, like I mentioned. It's not even approved by the FDA, but it's a start. The test is looking for circulating tumor DNA in blood. It costs roughly $1,000, but it detects 50 types of cancers with a false positive rate below 1%. If these tests get cheaper, more available, more accurate, they'll herald a hopeful future for medicine and finding diseases early. I bring all this up because it's still a great time to be an investor. Capitalism is still working. We are still innovating around the world. And I, I kind of like the science. You know, legal lab meat. The FDA cleared a California company called Upside Foods to produce lab-grown chicken. It is the first ever cultivated meat product to pass this key regulatory hurdle. More obstacles remain, such as approval by the Department of Agriculture before you can order an Upside Foods chicken sandwich with white meat that grew in a lab, but it's a start. Um... I don't know. Should you be excited or should you get all depressed that the recession's coming? I think you should always be excited. Uh, Warren Buffett has famously said, never bet against America. And I kind of agree with that. So a lot of promising technologies out there in healthcare. Some of them dealing with weight loss. Some of them dealing with cancer. You get the idea. One of the things I'm going to like in hindsight on 2022 is I think we learned a lot. Um, if you were heading into retirement, this was the first time in a long time that you had to check yourself and go, am I doing things correctly? If you lose your job near retirement, that's a tough one. What would I do if I lost my job right now? So I'm kind of near retirement. I could retire in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Fortunately, I do a, a gig where in theory, I'm getting wiser as I do it, right? But if I were to lose my job, I would assess my budget. First things first. I would take a look at what I'm spending, take a look at what I'm bringing in, take a look at what's going out. Then I would evaluate my savings. Do I have a substantial emergency fund? Then I would assess my social security options. The earliest you could take Social Security is 62 years old. I'm too far away from that. For people born in 1960 or later, the retirement age when you can collect 100% of your benefits is 67. Claiming your Social Security benefits is 62. Locks you into a lower amount. You need to replace 60 to 80% of your income. And Social Security might, might do 10 to 20%, but not even close for me. Have a plan in place. 
always a good idea. I think 2022, we're going to learn, did we have a plan or not? History's going to be kind to us if we did learn something from it. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube at Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.